Let's start today. Father, thanks for the day. Uh, thank you for our time together this morning. Thanks for the Word of God. The fact that you have given it to us <clears throat> in an understandable, readable format, that we can hold on to it and, and grasp it and, and turn to chapters and verses and books and, and know about you and learn about you and see you. And we just thank you that you have done this thing for us, your great love um, in giving us the Word of God. And as we study the Word of God this morning in this building, I pray that the Spirit of God would do a mighty work. And the Father, that you would just open up our hearts and our ears and our mind. And we would see very clearly what you want for us. And that we would accept it, take it in, embrace it. And that we would just not learn, but we would practice. And that we would practice the truth that um, we study today. We thank you for the teachers and their commitments and for the students that are in the building. Father, just use this hour uh, for your honor and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to be studying out of Judges again today, chapter 6. We're going to be looking at Gideon. Gideon today. Judges chapter 6. We're going to be studying Gideon. Where we're headed with all of this today is um, the theological theme is the strength to obey God and join Him on mission does not come from within us, but from God's empowering spirit. The connection to Christ is God called Gideon to be part of his plan to defeat the enemy, and he went on great to great lengths to assure Gideon of his presence and his power. Through the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, God now assures us of his presence and his power to take part in his plan of worldwide redemption. And when we go and do what it is that God wants us to do, we can rest assured that we are doing it in the power of Jesus Christ. Gideon um, is the one that we want to look at in Judges chapter 6 as, as we continue this cycle where they, they fall into sin and they call out to God, they repent, they confess, and, and then they celebrate, and then they fall into sin, and they go through this cycle over and over again, and God continues to raise up people for them so that they would um, be rescued and that they would see God. And we see God's graciousness in the book of Judges over and over again. I challenged you last week. I'll do it again this week. Um, <clears throat> read the book of Judges. If you haven't, if you didn't do it last week, I encourage you to read the book of Judges. It's just good to read it. and It's a dark book, but it's good for us to understand. And read it with that verse in mind constantly that every man did what was right in his own eyes. It's what we do when we wander away from God. This is where we end up. This is the, 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 the downward spiral we're a part of, and it's ugly. And it's terrible. And so read Judges. It's good for us to do that. So chapter 6 is where we're at. And we find ourselves in this situation again. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midians would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no substance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable and they came into land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. <clears throat> this is a terrible, terrible situation, obviously. You can see that Midian was a, a very, very mean, evil, wicked group, and that the, the Israelites were, in fact, hiding. They were making themselves dens and caves, and they were hiding out in the mountains because they, they didn't want to, to um, be in the way when the Midianites came in, and they stole from them the, the produce of their work. They stole their crops, and they took their animals, and they treated them in this terrible way. And so we see that Israel hid because of that, and, and they didn't want to be where they normally were because of this terrible oppression that they were facing right now. Notice what it says in verse 10, or in verse 7. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, it was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all of your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in 
disobedience. They have walked away from doing what was right. And the Lord reminds them, hey, listen, I brought you up and I delivered you and I gave you this land. And the reason why you're in this problem and this situation right now is because you have not obeyed me. You have not done what I asked you to do. Therefore, you are suffering at the hands of these people because of that. And that's an important thing that we need to um, keep at the very forefront as we go through that um, today. Now, Corley says this. It says, <clears throat> Gideon's story is very much bigger than Gideon. And, and if there's anything that hopefully you are learning well as we're going through this Old Testament survey, basically, is that the stories are bigger generally than the people involved in the stories. Hopefully you're, you're understanding that and you're thinking beyond just the characters that we're reading about, all right? Gideon, like everything else in the Bible, the story is bigger than Gideon, like everything else in the Bible. His story is actually about God and his people. It tells of his love for them, his enduring and boundless mercy toward them, and his strength operating in spite of, even through weakness in them. And that's really what we're going to focus in on today, is that God continued to operate and to work in spite of and through the weakness that Gideon had and, and the nation of Israel, that God does that over and over again without fail. So here's the situation. That's what's going on. And then we come to Gideon in verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Oprah and belonged to Joash the Abazertite. And his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. So one of the things that happens is sometimes people don't read context and we just read the story about a person. And Gideon's one of those where we didn't read context. So it says that Gideon was hiding out. He was doing his thing, basically. And he was beating up the, the wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. And the reason he was doing that was because of what we read earlier, because the Midianites were taking it all. Okay? So he was doing what makes good sense. Right? He was, he was doing his best to save his family and himself and maybe some others. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He said to them, O oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So notice what it is that God says when he comes. The first thing that he says in verse 12 is, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Notice verse 14. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of the Midian. Have I not sent you? Notice in verse 16. But the Lord said, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian. Our quarterly points out some incredibly wonderful things about this. And one of the things that I want to point out to you from our quarterly is this. God often assures his people by pointing out his presence. And I thought that was a really, really good point. That our quarterly says that his company has always been our source of strength in the midst of the storms of life. And the psalmist, in fact, he says in Psalm 23, even though I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you with me. Even though I walk in the shadow of the valley of death, I will not fear because you are with me. The greatest thing that really God has told us, that God has given us in our life, um, apart from our salvation, once we're saved and we start walking with him, is that God has said this amazing thing. He has said, I will be with you. I will be with you. And over and over again, when the Lord came to people throughout the Old Testament, he oftentimes began his message to them with, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. I have a task for you. The Lord is with you. Okay? As you are walking through whatever it is that you're walking through, you need to believe that the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And the reason why we can say that and we can believe it is why? What? We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. And the Bible has said that we've been given the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit's a gift that will never go away, right? What else does it say? Do you have a verse for me that he is with me? 
forsake you. We have the Holy Spirit with the passages of that, that you'll be given the comforter forever. Okay? The Bible tells us that God will always be with us. Okay? Verse 13, then, is a really interesting verse because Gideon says, because he just came and said, the Lord is with you. And so Gideon's response is this in verse 13. If the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? And where are all of his miracles, which our father told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. That's a pretty honest and I think fair statement from Gideon. Hey, I'm with you, he says to Gideon, who's hiding, beating out some some food so that they can have something to eat because these terrible, horrible in enemies of theirs are attacking and stealing and taking from them on a regular basis. Hey, the Lord's with you. And basically Gideon looks around and says, I have evidence to the contrary. It certainly doesn't appear that the Lord is with us. Look at all the trouble that we have right now. Look at all the difficulties that we have right now. Look at what's happening in our life right now. Where are the miracles that our fathers told us about? And what were some of the miracles our fathers told us about? What were they? Rattle a couple off real quick. Part of the Red Sea. Very good. Manna. Very good. Water. Very good. Uh, what? Conquering the land. Healing they saw on a regular basis. They saw they crossed over the Jordan. Okay? The clothes didn't wear out. The shoes didn't wear out. Those are the miracles that Gideon had been hearing about his whole life. Let me tell you about the God that is leading us. Let me tell you about the God and what he did for us. And what's, what's Gideon's life look like right now? It's not very good. It's a mess. They're hiding because they have these horrible, rotten, terrible Midianites who are coming down and they're stealing their food and they're taking their livestock and they're like making life miserable. And so Gideon simply says, Oh Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has this happened to us? And the answer is what? The answer to the question of why this has happened to us is what though? They turn from God. The answer was given in verse 10. You have not obeyed me. And God said, when you're not going to obey me, I'm going to turn you over. Now that's, that's the answer for Gideon. Okay? The Lord said that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put them in charge of you and you're going to see that you need me and hopefully this will teach you to obey. Alright? So, but there's other answers to that question. Sort of, kind of. Okay? Because Gideon asked a fair question. Lord, as I look around and I see the things that are going on in my life, the question that I'm asking is, where are you? Why aren't all of these things happening that other people have talked about? Why aren't these things happening that I've heard about, I've read about? Lord, where are you? And what is your answer when a dear friend with tears asks you that question? And you're trying to encourage a person and you're trying to love that person and with tears streaming down their face, they simply say, where is God right now? What's your answer? Job 23, but we don't know what Job 23 says, so you've got to help us out. Okay. So the answer is that God knows where you are. Okay. All right. What else? There's some more. These are practical. This, we need this, don't we? Don't we need to have this answer? Okay, he's walking with you through it. Okay, that, that, that's the question that we asked is, okay, why is God, where is God, why is this happening? Okay, he is walking with us. What else? Okay, where are you with God? Okay, that's a good thing, but that's not going to really help me when I'm crying and I'm sitting in front of you wondering what's going on. They, they might need to hear that. You're exactly right. 
It is a good answer. I agree. We haven't answered the question of why this is going on. Why is it going on? Ultimately, it's sin. It's a Genesis 3 world. He, he, he may have a message, a lesson to teach us. In our weakness, his strength comes clear. That's exactly right. Those are the basic answers. Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Here's the answer. And you guys need to understand this. And all of you have said this and you understand it. Why, where is God right now? And the answer is God is where God has always been. The question that you're asking is not really where God is. The question that you're asking is, why me? Why did this happen? That's exactly, that's the question. Okay? Okay? And the answer to that question is what? We live in a world full of sin. And why not me? And that's a really good one, actually. We live in a world full of sin. Okay? Why did this, why did this happen to me? Because we live in a world full of sin. Because we live in a world full of sin. That's the answer over and over again. Why is it that, that I go to the doctor and get the news that I get? Because my body's decaying and I live in a world full of sin. Now the question that I want to ask then is this, really. And, and Destry did it. How come he didn't get sick? How come I got sick? That's the real, that's the real question, huh? Yeah, and, and that's the real question is that I want to know, God, how come I got sick? He didn't get sick. How come I got sick? Okay. Huh? I might get sick. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of... But the issue is this, is that you are not exempt from the problems of life. We forget that a lot. You know, really what we think Christianity is, we think Christian is, Christianity is a get-out-of-jail-free card. Don't we? Deep down, that's what we think it is. When something bad happens to me, what do I want to do? I, what do I want to do? That's what I want him to do. What do I want to do? I want to say to him what? I, yeah, yeah, I want to say why me. I want to say blame God, but what else do I want to do? As a Christian, because I go to church and I read my body Bible and I do my best to live right, when something happens to me, what do I want to do? And say what? Say it, Mark. That's what I want. What I want is you, in effect, God, owe me. You owe me. I have a right. I have a right to prosperity. I have a right to health. I have a right to happiness. I have a right to peace. I have a right to you rattle them off. And the reason why I tell God I have a right to those things is because I'm a Christian. Okay? Now, you guys are pretty smart people. What does the Bible say about that? That's right. It says in this world you'll have trouble. You have persecution. That's what it says. That's exactly what it says. It says this is not our home. And so what we do is we go through life and we think, you know, this has happened and, 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 and all this is going on. And I say, God, wait a sec. I'm a Christian and I'm doing these really good things for you. I didn't even just go to church this week. I went to church at Sunday night. I did a lot. How come you're doing this to me? Okay, that's exactly what we do. And, what, and when that happens, we need to read the Bible, and we need to read what Jesus had to say, and when we read what Jesus had to say, we'll come away with, I guess it's really wonderful that more bad things haven't happened to me. That's what we're going to come away with. And the reason why bad things happen to me, by and large, is because I live in a bad world. You live in a bad world. You live in a world where people drive really, 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 really terribly bad. And sometimes they run into you. You live in a world where your, 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 your choices are bad choices. And there are consequences to those choices. You live in a world where people are selfish and arrogant and mean. And sometimes that affects you. And you're selfish and arrogant and mean. And sometimes that affects them. You live in a world where there are germs running rampant in this place. They're all over the place. Some you were born with because your parents had terrible germs in them. Some you get because you live in a world where you have bad germs. That's the world you live in. You live in a dangerous place. You live in a place where people wander around with guns looking to kill other people. 
That's the world we live in, is it not? That's the world we live in. We live in a terrible place. And in that terrible place, there's a something that you can hold on to that is the best thing in the whole the in all the world, and that is this: that the Lord has said, "You belong to me, and I will never leave you as you struggle in this world." The problem with us is not that the things happen to us. The problem with us is our approach to life and our unbiblical, unsubstantiated thoughts of what life should look like. That's our problem. Because I know exactly how my life should look for me. Don't you know how your life should look for you? And many times it's totally different than how life is right now, isn't it? Totally different. Okay? And we need to understand that that's our, our, our way of thinking. That's not biblical way of thinking. Okay? So who's exempt from bad things happening to them in this world? Nobody. Now, do you believe that? Who's exempt from bad things happening to people in this world? Nobody is. Nobody. Nobody including the perfect holy son of man who worked on this earth. Nobody is exempt. Here's the really cool news, though. You ready for this? There is a place that is not full of horrible things. There is a place that is perfect. There is a place that is completely right and wonderful, and bad things do not happen because bad things don't exist. It's called heaven. And the Lord has said, not only am I with you today, but I promise to take you to this place down the road. Okay? And you say, well, Lord, if it's such a great place, we'll take me today. And the Lord's answer is, no, I want you to stay here and do what? Serve me. Use a different phrase we talk about all the time. Glory, glorify me. I want you to bring me glory. Same thing, but I want you to stay here and do that. That's what I want you to do. And when you're done doing that, I'm going to say, hey, come on. The perfect place is waiting for you. Okay? That's biblical life right there. Okay? What Gideon was struggling with was what we struggle with all the time. Lord, if you were with me, all these bad things wouldn't be happening to me right now. No, that's not the case because you happen to live in a bad world. Now, you live in that bad world by the sovereign God. He has said this world is bad. But one of the reasons why this world is bad, let's just be honest here. One of the reasons why this world is bad is so that I might think that what is so good? Heaven. You know, all the problems with people who have always lived in the United States of America is that heaven hasn't had all that great of a pull on us because life has been so good right here. I mean, honestly, look at your life. By and large, everybody who's sitting in this room can say I have lived a charmed life, by and large. Now, I understand you can argue with some of that with me, but by and large, lived a charmed life. Because I've lived this charmed life, I look around and I think, you know what, Lord, I'm really not all that concerned about you and the things of God. I'm concerned about enjoying this charmed life a little bit more. In fact, I wish that Kent would shut up because I want to go to the lake this afternoon. i got to get out of here. I want to get out of here quick. Or I need to beat the crowd to the restaurant. So come on, pal, quit talking. Let me go. All right? And we think that way because I want my charmed life to be even a little bit more charmed today. Okay? And that's just fact, is it not? Have I said anything wrong this morning? Yes, ma'am. Jesus Christ himself. That's what he said. That's exactly what he said. And that needs to be one of our... <laughs> What's your life verse? That would be a good one right there. I'm not kidding you. That would be a good life verse, would it not? Because it would constantly remind me that there are difficulties in this earth, but it would constantly remind me that... Jesus Christ overcame that, and I belong to him. Okay? But we don't choose that particular verse for a life verse, do we? We choose other ones. Okay? All right, yeah. That's right. There's meaning and purpose in all these things that happen. That's right, in every single thing. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's right. The, the, the peace that Jesus gives us is a spiritual peace. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right.
exactly right. I have said this over and over again for a long time, and you guys have heard me say it over and over again. We read our Bibles as Americans, and that's fine because we're Americans. There's a lot of people that read their Bibles that have no idea what real peace is like, aren't there? Are there people living in this world who have been born into an incredibly terrifying, difficult, war-torn world who are still living in that very same world today who know Jesus Christ as their Savior and read the Bible? You better believe there are. Don't you think that they read a passage like this and they look at it just a little differently? You better believe they do. Okay? We need to understand that one of the reasons why we struggle with these kinds of things so much is because of the culture we've been born into and we have embraced. Now, I do not believe that we need to cast off all the things. You know what I say about that. This is a great place to live. It's wonderful. Take advantage of it. You just need to understand that that's going to color how you look at things in the Bible on a regular basis. Okay? It just is. Yes?
And God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you back by allowing the Midianites to ravish you in the land. All right? It's going to be a bad thing. I'm going to allow them to have their way with you. And they were taking advantage of that and doing some terrible things. All right? So what happens next is this. God says to Gideon, I want you to lead your people. I want you to take care of them, and I will be with you, and I will give you power, and I will give you the ability. Verse 16, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring you out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from Ephraim and flour and put the meal in the basket and the broth in a pot and brought them out under the oak tree and presented them. Then the angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them out on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff which was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire sprang from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. So what happened was they had this conversation and Gideon simply said, Show me that it's really you who's talking. Let me go away. And, and, and at this point, did he ask the Lord to prove himself by some sort of a test? And the answer is no. What did he do in order to, to prove that this was the Lord? He ineffected what? What did Gideon go through the steps? In effect, he, he, he what? He prepared a sacrifice, which is what we call worship. Exactly right. He prepared a sacrifice. He went through a, a process of worshiping, and God was gracious that what he did is he accepted that sacrifice, and he consumed it, that, that idea that there is purity in the fire, and he consumed that sacrifice. We've seen that through the Old Testament over and over again. So in this portion of Scripture, in this little event, had Gideon done anything wrong? No. Had the Lord been gracious and shown him who he was? Yes. Had he laid it out for him? You betcha he had. He had done all of those things. He went through all of those things. And then, in effect, what it is is that Gideon saw those things. The angel, the Lord said, okay, no problem. Let me show you who I am here. And he did it. Verse 22. When Gideon saw that he, it was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Who did Gideon understand he was talking to? God, the holy God, exactly right, because I'm going to die now, because I've seen him face to face, and the angel of the Lord appeared, uh, assured him, you will not die, that will not happen, I will take care of you, then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and named it, the Lord is peace, and to this day, it is still there, so the Lord, he, 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 he honored the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord, and the Lord said, it sure is me, I assure you, it is me, all right, next handful of verses. On that same night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Asherah. And build an altar to the Lord your God at the top of this stronghold in an orderly manner, and take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, and you shall cut it down. Then the Gideon took ten of his servants, and he did as the Lord had spoken. And because he was too afraid of his father's household, and the men of the city did it by day, he did it by night. So what they did was, God was announcing that the Lord's about to go to war with you guys. And, and it's going to be the God of Israel versus the God of the Midianites. That's what he did here. Okay, and so take this, and I want you to build this altar, and I want you to do what needs to be done. So in the, in the morning, the men of the city arose in the morning, and behold, the altar of Baal was torn down, and the Asherah was beside it, was cut down, and the second bull was altered on the altar which had been built. Then they said to one another, who did this thing? And when they searched about and inquired, they said it was Gideon, the son of Joash, who did this thing. Then the men of the city said, Bring out your son to Joash, that he may die, for he has torn down the altar of Baal, and indeed he has cut down the asherah which was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you deliver, or will, or will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because someone has torn down his altar. So Gideon's father understood what was going on here. This was a battle between the God of Israel and the God of the Midianites, okay? And that's exactly what we see in the Old Testament over and over and over and over and over again. And let me say this. As the angels and all of the hosts of heaven are paying attention, in your life on a regular, regular day, there is the battle between your God and there is a battle between the God of the world. 
Every day. Every day. Do we trust Lord, the Lord in a way every day that the Lord is standing up for us and he is battling and that the God of this world is seeing that indeed the God of the universe is truly the God of the universe and those people believe him. Right? Every day that's going on. Every day. Are you walking by faith? Are you trusting him? Are you allowing him to work? Are you yielding to him? Are you where you need to be so that the God of this world sees that and trembles? So that's always been the battle and always will be the battle. It says this, verse 33, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east assembled themselves and they crossed over and they camped in the valley of Jezreel because they knew that there was about to be a war. So they understood what was going on. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and the Abdurites were called together to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh and they were also called together to follow him and they all came up and they were creating this army and they were making this great big army, all right? So that's what's going on, an announcement of war. All right, everyone with me? The story so far? All right, let's get to the good stuff. Verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece, bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not let your anger burn against me that I may speak once more. Please let me test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece and let there be dew on all the ground. God did so that night for it was dry only on the fleece and the dew was on all the ground. The fleece. We read about this on a regular basis. I'm going to put out a fleece. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Okay. Dealing with Gideon and his fleece. Why did Gideon put out the fleece? Why did Gideon do this? To strengthen his own faith. All right, that's an answer. And put that another way because he, he doubted and was afraid. Absolutely. Okay? He did do that. Okay? He put that out for that reason. Okay? What is it that God had told him? I will. How is it that God had shown him that he would do that? By the fire and what had happened the previous night and the enemies knowing all of that and, and so on and so forth. Okay, Here's the question that we need to ask. Did Gideon need more information at this point? Did Gideon need more proof at this point? Did he? No, not really. He did not. God had proven himself already, hadn't he? Okay? Okay. Do you need any proof? And that is a tough thing, but here it is. Do you need any proof that God is with you? Yeah, but, okay. Need it. Say it. Yeah, it's here and it's here. We know it. Now, do we need reinforced on that sometimes? Do we need, yes, but the, the, we want it. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible has told us, we've been given the Holy Spirit, we've been given look back on your life and you will know that the Lord is with you. God has shown himself to you over and over and over again. Look at your salvation experience. Look at what God has done with you through, down through your life and so on. God has shown you over and over again. Okay? So let me phrase the question another way. Are we supposed to test God and have him prove himself on a regular basis? And the answer to that is no, we are not. I want to say this to you. What Gideon did was a sin. Gideon was wrong. He was wrong. God had proven himself. God had declared what he was going to do. God had made it clear. And what Gideon then did here was a sin, and his sin was that he was doubting God. Here's the really neat part of this story. Why is it that the fleece was wet the first night and dry the second night then? Because God is gracious. And because God knows our weakness. And God knows our fears, and God knows our concerns, and God knows our inadequacies, and God is willing to say, I will show you one more time. Isn't that a cool thing? That's who God is. So the bottom line from this then is this. When God asks you to do something, God empowers you to do that thing, you need to do that thing. But even when you have doubts, 
and fears and concerns, your God doesn't throw up his hands in despair and say, well, then never mind. Your God gently and lovingly and compassionately will walk you through your fears and your concerns and get you to where you need to be so that you can do that thing that he's asked you to do if you just will be willing to go forward. Okay? That's what we learn from this story. Gideon shouldn't have done what Gideon did. He was told over and over again that he was with him. He was told that God would do what God said he was going to do. The Bible says you don't test the Lord your God. Jesus said it. It says it in Deuteronomy. We're, we're supposed to be very, very careful about this. The Lord is merciful to work in our lives on a regular basis. Yes? The question is, why is it that there are Christians out there who think it's appropriate to put out the fleece? Um, <clears throat> because, here's my answer. <laughs> because we live in a world with pathetic, terrible, horrible theology and teaching. And we live in a world where it is a prove-me, show-me world. And we think it's okay to do that to God. That's my answer. I think it's weak, bad teaching, horrible theology, and people that say over and over again, you know what? I, this is how I live my life all the time. I gotta have, I gotta have proof. I gotta have evidence. I gotta have this. I gotta have that. That I think that they're not quite, they're not walking by faith as they ought to be. Right. They'll point to this. Yeah, exactly. They'll point to this and use this as a great example. Ignoring the context, ignoring all the other things that God did beforehand. But we need to understand that God is gracious. Okay. But we we need to understand that that Deuteronomy says don't test the Lord. Jesus said don't test the Lord. We don't, we don't do that. We don't, we're not supposed to ask God to prove himself. Okay? Look around. Is there not enough proof for God everywhere? Look around. Okay? There is, it is everywhere. Okay? God has proven himself over and over again. And as believers, we don't need to have him do that in our lives. All right? We need to trust him and walk by faith. Is that an incredibly hard thing to do sometimes? Yeah. It really, really is. It really is. But we need to do that. Let's finish the story here real quick. Um, so God is incredibly gracious, and, and he does this for him. And he allows Gideon to, to, to see that these things are, you know, what I've done for you, and here it is. And so then what, what happens next is they put their army together. Uh, then Jerubbabel, and that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the spring of Harad. And the camp of Midian was on the north side, and, and they were in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give, to give Gideon, Gideon, uh, Midian into your hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. Why is it that God allows us to be weak? To show his strength. That's what he was teaching Gideon. That's what he taught Paul. And I believe that on a pretty regular basis, that's what he's teaching you and me. Okay? Is that we can't, we can't allow Israel to say they won this victory. We've got to fix this. So they had a bunch of people. And so, so it says, therefore, in verse 3, come proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is afraid and trembling, let them return and depart. And no big deal. And so 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. And the Lord came to Gideon and said, there are too many still. Bring them down to the water, and I'll test them there. Therefore, it shall be that he of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, he shall go with you, but everyone I shall say to you, this one shall not go, shall not go. So they came down to the water, and he said, separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink and, and lifts it up and puts it in their mouth with their hand. And so the number of those who lapped putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men, but the rest of the people kneeled to drink. So now they've got it down to 300 men. Okay? Then the Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with 300 men who laughed and will give the Midianites into your hands to so let all the other people and each man go to his home. And so they took the provisions and the trumpets in their hands and Gideon sent the other men of Israel each to his tent but retained the 300 men and the camp of Midian was below in the valley. So God needed to do this so that God would get the, the, the tremendous glory and praise for this thing. And so he whittled it down to 300 men. And Paul in Corinthians over and over again says that God has chosen to use vessels like you and me. Weak vessels, sinful vessels, frightened vessels, unsure vessels, 
vessels who need lifted up, vessels who need a little extra assurance. God has said, I want to use a vessel like you to do my work on this earth so that I might get the glory. That's what Paul said over and over again. That's what Gideon learned here. 300 men against the Midianites, that was a bad idea. Okay? But the Lord knew what he was doing, and he said, this is going to happen. And the plan is this in verse 9. Now the same night it came about that the Lord said, Arise and go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. And isn't that how God works all the time? We see that on a regular basis with God. He says, I've given that camp into your hands. Now, I want you to do a few things, but it's a done deal. Trust me. It's a done deal. Okay, but I want you to do a few things. All right? But if you're afraid to go down, uh, your servant can come down to the camp and you will hear what they say. So they went down and they listened to what the Midianites said. They were talking to them. And, and it says that they were afraid. They were afraid of them. And, uh, and so it says in verse 13, When Gideon came, behold, the man was related a dream to his friend. And he said, Behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was trembling in the camp of Midian. And it came to the camp and struck it so it fell. And it turned upside down so that the tent laid flat. The friend replied, This is nothing less than the word sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given Midian into the camp of his hand. So God even told Gideon, Listen, if you still are worried, I want you to take your servant and, and I want you to go down and I want you to listen to what they're saying about the battle. And they went down and they heard that these people were afraid of who? Who? God. They weren't afraid of Israel. They weren't afraid of Gideon. They were afraid of God. They were afraid of God. Oh, that we would live our lives in such a way that we would live for God on a regular basis and then people would see that we live for God on a regular basis and people would look at us and they say, those people, that person, that's a woman of God. That guy, that's a man of God. They trust God. They walk with God. They believe in God. They cherish God. Even as life is overwhelmingly large, that person trusts God. People won't say that you are a remarkable person. People won't say that you're the most amazing person in the world. They'll say that person trusts God. That needs to be who we are. We trust God. In the midst of life, when life is going crazy and things are bad and so on and so forth, we trust God. Throughout this story, God says over and over again, I'm going to show my strength through your weakness. And indeed, that's what happened. Um, look at what it says in verse 19, so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp and the beginning of the middle of the watch when they had just posted the watch and they blew the trumpets and they smashed the pitchers that were in their hands and then the three companies blew their trumpets and broke their pitchers and they held their torches in their left hands, trumpets in their right hands for blowing and cried, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each stood his place around the camp and all the army ran crying out as they fled and when they blew 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against another, even throughout the whole army. And the army fled, and Gideon and the nation of Israel won the victory, and God got the credit. Okay? God didn't need Gideon and his 300 men for this, did he? He caused the men of Midian to fight each other. He used them because he said, go blow the trumpet. God could have made a big noise, and it would have scared them to death, and they would have done it. But God says, I want to use weak humanity for my glory. Congratulations. Well done. You get to be that person. How about that? This week, you, you get to be the weak humanity. But God says, I want to use you to do some neat things. Okay? And maybe, huh? You're going to like this vacation Bible school, people. Maybe it's that God wants you to, to, to be used to be helpful or be bold or be polite or be self-controlled or be forgiving. That's what we learned in VBS. That's what we learned in Iwana this year, those kinds of things. Maybe God wants you. He wants you in your weakness. He wants you to do these things that people can't do apart from God's strength on occasion. Okay? And God says, I want you to be that. I want to use you. And I want you to shine for Jesus Christ. Because the truth of the matter is, even with these few things right here, our world isn't real good at these things. But in, in, in Christ Jesus, we're pretty good at it, aren't we? Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. Okay? That's what needs to happen. Listen, you need to trust God. You need to cherish God. You need to, you need to make sure that, that you understand that many times the things that are going on in your life and, 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 and what it is that God is asking you to do in, in means that seem really weird and bizarre 
is so that you are unable to say, I did it myself. It needs to be, God did this through me. It's a hard thing sometimes to do because we look at ourselves and we look at what's going on and we said, look, hey, how about that, huh? How about that? How about that? God accomplishes great things through our weakness over and over and over and over and over again. Over again. The story of Gideon. Gideon was used of God. Uh, Gideon needed a little extra stuff and God was gracious and gave him that extra stuff. But um, don't test the Lord your God. He, he's proven it to you over and over again. When he, when he asks you to do something, you should do it. You should obey the Lord and you should do what the Lord has asked you to do. He has said... I'm going to do it. Okay? You live in a tough world. You live in a difficult world. You live in a sinful world. You live in a bad world. And things are going to happen to you that are bad. Okay? They are. Doesn't mean God's not with you. He has promised he will be with you. Okay? He has promised that. And 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 you need to look around and, and I want to and I'll do this and then we got to get out of here. I want I want to remind you of this. And the psalmist Psalm 73 is a real good psalm. Read Psalm 73 for this. There are times when you look around and you can, and, and sometimes you even say, what about all those people out there who don't love God and couldn't care less? Look at their life. Man, how come things are so good for them? You need to be, remind yourself that for those people, their best life really is right now. It's all they're getting. It's all they're getting. Why are you on this earth? To give God the glory. Why are you on this earth? Why are you on this earth? Say it. To give God the glory. Why are you on this earth? And sometimes you need to give the God the glory as bad things are happening so that indeed God gets the glory. Okay? When bad things are happening, it might be that God has taken your, 3, your 30,000, 33,000 army and he's taken it down to 300. And he says, okay, now let's, let's, let's show God the glory, okay? We've got to be done. Father, thanks for our time together this morning. Thanks for our lesson. Thanks for teaching us and equipping us and filling us with the Holy Spirit. We're weak. We struggle. We're just like Gideon. And, and our faith, it, it trembles many times. Lord, I pray that you would reinforce our faith. You would grow our faith. And you would help us to understand that indeed things go on. And, but you're with us still. You haven't abandoned us. You walk with us. You strengthen us. You equip us. You use us. Give us the faith we need that we might see life that way for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.